Good morning again. It is really great to be, to be with you. And this morning we're going to spend some time in God's Word in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel and chapter 23. A wee while ago in Hollywood we did a, went through a, a, a series and a study in the life of David. And we come... We came, this was our, our final message in that series. These are, the, are the, given as the, the last words of David in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And if you see, that's what it says in verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. So 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 1. This is God's word. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse... The oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me, his word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For he will not cause to prosper, for will he not cause to prosper all my hope and my desire? But worthless men are like thorns, or all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, as David said, your words are like honey to us. And Lord, we pray for, for each person gathered this morning. Lord, wherever our hearts are at this morning, whatever our, our fears are, our, our worries, our, our hopes we pray, Lord, that you would meet us. We pray for the movement of your Spirit amongst us. Show us more of Christ and make us more like him, we pray in his name. Amen. As I said earlier on, it was 15 years ago that I, that I first ever spoke, uh, and it was in this church, not in this room. Um, I could have said that, but in, in the other room. And I had spoken a few times before in my own church, but that was it for 15 years ago, and from then... I've delivered, I'm sure, countless sermons and messages, 15 years of, of, of preaching, and 10 years, really, of being in, in church ministry. And in that time, I've, I've learned that there, there is a difference between speaking and speaking to people and telling them, them truth and telling them, telling them what to do. It's a difference between just, just speaking to people and leading people and truly leading people and taking them with you, taking them where you want them to go. The, one of the best things I've heard of, of leadership is the first rule of leadership is everything is your fault. Um, and that's from the great leadership guru Hopper from A, a Bug's Life, one of the bugs in A Bug's Life. But everything is your fault. But, but in, in leadership, we're trying to take people with you to, to where you want to go. And I've, I've learned really there's two main aspects, and countless books have been written on leadership, but really, in, especially in Christian ministry, there's two main aspects of leading people. Number one is, is telling them, encouraging them to trust in God. To turn away from themselves, to turn away from their own sin and selfishness and to put their trust in him. 
And that's what some, many people need to hear. But the other aspect of leadership, whichever everyone needs to hear, is that it's going to be okay. I noticed earlier, whenever at the beginning of service, Steve told us all, in the middle of everything happening, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. It's great leadership by Dave. But we need to be able to tell people it's going to be okay. And I can think of, of many people in our, in my, our own church context, in our own, my, my own life, who we, I, we need to sit down with and tell them it's going to be okay. But those are, those are hard words at times to say, aren't they? I'm sure you can think of people, contacts and situations with people where it's hard to say that it's hard at times to believe that. How can we truly lead people? How can we truly tell people it's going to be okay? How can those words not at times feel trite or even feel untrue? Think of people going through illnesses, people going through relationship difficulties, marriages with their children, with work. How can we truly lead people by telling them it's going to be okay? Well, someone who knew a thing or two about leadership is, is, was King David. And what we get here in these first seven verses of chapter 23, David's last words. And you might think it's a bit strange if you're very observant. You'll see that these are given as the last words of David. And yet this isn't the last chapter in the book of Samuel. There's another chapter and a half. And David appears to be alive and well in chapter 24. Um, so these are, if you like, David's last public words. His last psalm. The last address that he gives to the nation. This is what he wants to leave with them. And what he gives them is kind of like a, a, a job description of what a true and a good leader looks like, what a true and a good king looks like. It's part job description, it's also part biography. He's reflecting back on his life as well. But it gives us a kind of a blueprint for what a good king of Israel should look like. And if you hold David up to his own words, if you hold up this blueprint of what a good king should look like, and then you take David's life and you put them on top of each other, you'll see that the two actually don't totally match up. So David isn't just talking here about himself when he talks, talks about what, what does a king look like. He's pointing beyond. Talking, reflecting back in his own life, but he's also pointing to a greater king who will come. And of course, we've already sang about who, who that king is. These words point us to David, but they also point us beyond to Jesus and how he is our true and a good king. But they also speak into our own lives. If you have a position of leadership, whether as a, a boss, maybe in church, in any sort of ministry, a father, if you're a father or a, a mother, or even as the friends and the people you have around us in our lives, how are we to influence them? How are we to lead them? What, how should we point them to life and to hope? Well, let's look at what David says. We see here in, verse 20, in chapter 23, verse 1, we see this is the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high. It's saying the oracle of this man, David, who was raised up. And if you go back through the book of Samuel, and originally it was one book, first and second, it was no, there was no first and second Samuel. It's one book that's been now been broken in half. But the book of Samuel is full of, of people who were high and tall, who were brought low. Think of, of Eli. Eli, the, the, the priest who grew large, not tall, but grew out the other way, the way you don't want to grow. 
by eating the food that was offered in the temple. And he grew large. And how did, how did Eli die? Well, the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. And when he hears the Ark of the Covenant is stolen, he falls. Falls off his chair and breaks his neck and, and dies. The Ark of the Covenant is taken to the false god Dagon. And Dagon, the Ark is set in the temple with Dagon. And whenever the Philistines wake up who have stolen the Ark of the Covenant, what has happened to Dagon? He's fallen over. Saul, the king who the people had chose themselves, wasn't God's king, he was man's king. How does Saul's days, he was, and he was described as being a head taller than everyone else, tall, strong, uh, king Saul, how does he die? He falls on his own sword. And then you can think of the greatest example in the book of Samuel, Goliath, the tallest of all tall people in the Bible. Tall, tall Goliath stands over the Israelites, and how does he meet his end? Well, he gets a pebble from David's sling and he falls. The book of, David is, or book of Samuel is all about the tall, the, the mighty, the proud being brought down. And then David, the youngest of the sons of Jesse. We know the Sunday school story as well, I'm sure, if you've been brought up in church. This young, the last son, he is the one who's raised up to be king. He was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and it was Samuel who anointed David to be king. And then he's described as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And and then David speaks in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me, his word is on my tongue. The The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel has said to me. How did David lead the people? I've got three points this morning, three very simple points. The first one is that a good king speaks. A good king speaks. David spoke to the people. You think of great leaders of the past. Think of Churchill, who led Britain through the Second World War through his speeches. We will fight them on the beaches. Think of King George. Also, if you've seen the king's speech, you know how his words gave hope to a nation. Or more recently, we've seen President Zelensky in Ukraine, who took this tiny nation, who thought they were just going to be totally overrun, and through his speeches... He was able to, to change how they looked at themselves, to change how they saw themselves. That they, they weren't going to be victims, but they were going to be in control of their own fate. It was Churchill who said the difference between management and leadership is communication. The difference between management and leadership is communication. To speak, to, to, to lead people, we have to, to speak to them. To, to shape how they view reality, to change, change how they see things. And David communicated with his people. He spoke to the people in a way that nobody had ever spoke before. If you think about it, before David came along, what was, what was God's word to the people? Well, they had the first five books of, of, of the Bible, the books of Moses. They potentially had the book of Job. And that, that was it. But David comes along and he speaks and he leads the people and he gives them these beautiful psalms. He's described here as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he shows them through the, the Psalms how to have this living, vibrant relationship with God. He leads them in prayer, leads them in song to, to God. He shows them how to lament, how to be heartbroken before God. He demonstrates what that is like. He's open about his own sinfulness. Psalm 51, where he, where he, he openly before the people says, Create in me a clean heart, where he acknowledges that he is sinful and needs forgiveness. One author calls the Psalms the richest expression of the deepest experiences that the human soul has felt. 
David led the people by speaking to them, by speaking God's word to them. And if we want to lead people around us, people who are heartbroken, people who need help, and we can help them practically and we should, we can help them with all sorts of ways, but ultimately the deepest, greatest thing they need is for us to speak God's word to them. But you know, David spoke, spoke the living words of God, and yet these are David's last words. And they remind us that David spoke, but one day his mouth stopped and his lips fell silent. And he tells us that a good king speaks. A good king brings God's word. And at Christmas time, as we're thinking, we're thinking about the word who became flesh. The great king that we have. Our great king doesn't just come down and say, here is God's words to you. Jesus is God's word to us. He is the word of God, living and breathing. Jesus isn't a king in a castle, writing down nice letters to us and telling us everything is going to be okay. He comes in human form, the word of God, and lives and breathes amongst us. And he knows what it's like to agonize, to worry, is it going to be okay? He sweats blood in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, you remove this cup from me. I don't know what this is going to be like. Jesus, our great king, he knows what it is to suffer. So we this morning should draw near to him. Draw near to him because he sympathizes with us in our weakness. And that being in relationship with God. I, I, love, I love books. I love reading. I love poetry. I'm very, very sad. A degree in English literature. I love all that. But sometimes I, I, I'm guilty of tending to, to make my, my relationship with God about, about reading. It's about reading. It's about books. Of course, reading is really important to, to know the Bible and to hear uh, God's word, to, to, to read it and to know it in their hearts. But ultimately, fundamentally, your relationship with God isn't based upon your ability to read. Isn't upon your ability to read words. But it's about your relationship with the word and to know him. If you can't read very well, get an audio Bible and listen to it. Doesn't it about your ability to, to sit there, how long you can read for? Don't judge your spirituality based upon that. But know him. Spend time with him. Feed upon the word. David spoke to the people. But what did he speak to them? Well, David spoke life. His word is on my tongue, he says. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Have you ever had a, a, a night where you just couldn't wait for the morning to come? A night where you just longed for the, the sun to, to, to break and for the night to be over? I said earlier, I, I struggled a bit in my teens and kind of wandered away from the Lord for, for a time in my teens. And it was one night whenever we had planned with a few friends to, to go off. Uh, we told our parents that we were going camping. We weren't really going camping. We just went to sort of spend the night somewhere else and have a, a bit of crack. Uh, but we kind of forgot that if we weren't going camping, where were we, where were we going to sleep? And what were we going to spend the whole night? And we ended up sort of down beside a, a, a river outside Bamburgh with no tent for the night and no sleeping bag and no warm clothes and there we were. And we had taken a few 
sort of alcoholic beverages which we consumed, and that lasted about an hour uh, to my shame. But then that was it. And then all of a sudden we realised, hold on, we're here all night. And we spent the whole night huddled around trying to warm ourselves up, just waiting, waiting for the morning to come. Remember going to a phone book and finding or a phone box and finding a phone book, and we took the phone book and the phone book was a sacrificial offering, one page at a time. The phone book offered us some warmth. And I said, "Please, morning time, come, longing for that sun to set or sun to, to to rise even." But that sun brings that heat and that life. But the night is over, and David says that a good king is like a sun that rises in the morning tells the people that the night will end, that there is hope, there is light, there is life. A good king speaks and he speaks life to his people. A good king speaks life to his people. Again, there's wisdom here for, for earthly leaders or in your relationships. Do we speak life? Do we point people to the hope that there is in Christ? That it's not glib whenever we say it's going to be okay. That's not a trite promise. We should be, it's possible to say it perhaps in a trite way, but it's not trite. Because when we believe that there really is, that, that tomb really was empty on Easter Sunday, that there really is a resurrection life, and that Jesus is really going to return again, if we believe in him, if our hope is in him, then it is going to be okay. That whatever this life throws at us, doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay in between now and then, or that we won't experience suffering or pain or hardship. We will. But that ultimately we have a greater hope in him. And a true king speaks life to his people. And we should be speaking life to others as well. David's reign at times was, was good. It was like a, he was at times like a sun shining on his people. At times he led them in victory against the Philistines or other people, and it was great. But of course we know about David's sin with Bathsheba, where he committed adultery and had the woman who he committed adultery with, he had her husband killed in war. David's reign was more like, a, like an Irish summer, where there was periods of sunshine, periods of good times, but then there was periods of rain and darkness as well. And Solomon, David's son, will have a really great reign. It'll be, there'll be sunshine during his time. But again, Solomon will be led astray as well. And Israel will go through these centuries of good kings, then bad kings, and then mostly bad kings, and then worse kings. And by the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi will say, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Because he knew by that stage, after centuries of, of misrule and bad kings, the people just felt they were dark. They lived in a dark time. And they were hungering and longing for that sun to rise. And again at Christmas we'll think about the city, over the city of David, that star will shine in the darkness. And that light of the world comes to us in Christ. And maybe in your life it does seem dark. It seems hard, and it's hard to see where the light is coming from, humanly speaking. Maybe you're experiencing suffering and, and difficulty. But David, all those centuries ago, speaks to us this morning and says, look to the light. Not of, not of a human king, 
but of our divine King. He is our light. He speaks light to us. But again, what is that, what is that light and that life? What is it based on? How can we confidently say that that is true? Well, look at what David says in verse 5. He says, For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. A good king speaks life, and he speaks life through covenant. A good king speaks life through covenant. It was possible to, to promise the world, and we, we know that, don't we, from our, our earthly leaders and human politicians at election time, it's promising the world. And then four years later, you can look back on their, their term time, and what have they done? And so often, what they said they were going to do doesn't, doesn't match. It's possible for, in a, in a courtship, for someone to, to speak lots of nice words to the, the other person in the, in, the, in the courtship to get the, the wedding ring on or whatever, just to, just, to, just to say these things. And so often the times they can be empty. And say, I love poetry and I love, I love, I love reading. It's lovely to sit and read a nice, nice poem or a nice song to, to, to distract you from whatever else is going on in your life. But really that's just it. You can read, I wandered lonely as a cloud all day, and that's it. What else is there? You go back out, you have to face the, the reality of your, of your life. And is, is the Bible ultimately just like that? Nice words, inspirational things to put on a teacup or to stick up on your fridge. But really that's just, that's just it. How do we know? How can David really say there is hope? Well, he says in verse 5, For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. He can say, you can know that there is hope, that there is life, there is light, because God has promised it through his covenant. And David, by the end of his life, understood what it meant to live in covenant. He messes up lots of times in his life, but by the end of his life, he understood. If you look at chapter, or verse 17 of chapter 24, and there's too much to explain all the context. You can read it yourself. But David has sinned against, against God. And the, the people were being punished. And in verse 17 of chapter 24, Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people, and said, Behold, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. By the end of David's life, he understands what it is to be the king. Because he understands that as king, he's to lead the people. And when the people are suffering, he puts himself in their place. And says, I am the covenant king. I've promised to lead, to shepherd, to, 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 to protect these people. So, so punish me and let the people go. And that's what it is to be in covenant relationship. You promised to be with that person. To protect that person, come what may. But the thing is, in David's situation, it was actually David who sinned. And the people were being punished for the king's sin. And David says, no, put the punishment upon me. One of these leadership gurus, real leadership gurus, is a guy called Simon Sinek. And he talks about leadership and he shows us a picture of a, of, a, of a woman crouching under a table with her child sheltered underneath her. 
And the picture is from a, was from a, a, a shooting in a school. And this mother who was there took her child, wrapped her around herself, and hid under the table. And Simon Sinek, the secular leader, but he points at that picture and he says, that, that is leadership. That's what leadership looks like. And as we phrase, he says, leaders eat last. We stand the place, you protect the people that God has given to you. And David finally realizes that, but I said, David really is actually just suffering for his own sin. Again, in, in the blueprint, David doesn't quite match up. He's not this perfect king, but he points forward to a more perfect king. The king who will suffer, who was perfect, and who stands in the gap between God and man. And he never sinned himself. The king suffers not for his own sin, but he suffers for the sin of the people. How can we be sure that it is going to be okay? How can we speak to our own hearts? How can we speak to others and say it's going to be okay? Because God has promised us. And he has shown us that in the death of his own son. What greater thing could he have given? What greater promise or reassurance could he give to you this morning? What greater thing could he give to you to say, I love you. I will not let you go. Than to send his own son to a cross and to die. As I said, I enjoy poetry. And one of my favourite poets is a guy called John Donne. And he... Towards the end of his life, wrote some of these amazing poems reflecting upon, upon his own coming death. And he seems to have a great deal of angst about He'd lived a real sort of hedonistic life earlier in his life and had lived whatever way he wanted and then come to faith and became a, a minister. But he had this uncertainty how can I know for sure? How can I know for sure that when I die, I will, that God will be faithful and I will go and be with him? And I'm sorry for quoting poetry. If you don't like it, you can switch it off at this point. But hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll stick with me. But he says this. I have a sin of fear that when I have spun my last thread, I shall perish on the shore. On the shore. Is this, this, by his last thread, he means when he dies. He's this, this, this fear that when he dies, he won't make it across to the, to the Jordan, to the other side. He says, I have sin, a sin of fear that when I have spun my last thread, I shall perish on the shore. But swear by thyself that at my death thy son shall shine as he shines now and heretofore. And having done that, thou hast done, I fear no more. He has this fear that when he finally passes on, he won't make it. And he says, will you promise? Will you promise that in that moment you will be faithful? That, you're, that at my death, your son, and that's S-O-N, not S-U-N, the son will shine to me in that moment, just as he shone to me in my life. And when you've done that, when you've promised that you will be with me, you've given me your son, you have done. You can't do any more. There's nothing more that God could do for us. I fear no more. This morning, we can, we can lead ourselves. We can lead each other in hope and life and light by looking at that king, looking at the sun who shines for us in his death and his resurrection, that there is hope. He speaks to us this morning. He, he speaks light. He speaks life to us. I'm going to pray in a moment. Let me leave a moment for us to reflect in our own hearts. Are there fears, anxieties, worries that we have, can we look at him, look at the sun that shines 
And we can truthfully in our hearts say as we fear no more. Because we see that sun shining brighter in all the darkness that surrounds us in our life. Let's take a moment. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your son that shines to us this morning. And help us, Lord, if we are facing anxieties, worries, darkness this morning, whether even it's our own sin, sin that's been done to us, whether it's a sickness, ill health, fears of the uncertainty of tomorrow. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your sun shining even brighter than all the darkness in our lives and give us hope and a certainty fixed upon him. So we thank you. Pray for your spirit to continue working in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.